Hi, my name is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Before we start with the podcast, I have a few things that I'd like to mention. The first is that we've set up a special email address where listeners of our podcast can send in questions related to Agile, Agile transformation, basically anything about Agile at all. Just send your question to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it in text form, you can send a WAV file or any kind of audio recording of yourself asking the question, even video would be okay. What we're going to do is take the questions that we get, and in a future podcast, I will be joined by a few of our enterprise transformation consultants. We'll talk about your question. We'll talk about some possible solutions, some ideas, some things you might try when you get back to work, so that if you've got something that's going well, you can make it go better. And if you've got something that's not going well, we'll give you some suggestions or strategies for things you might try to change to make it go a little more smoothly. So again, any question about Agile or Agile transformation, just send it to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it as text, you can send it as an audio file, or you can send video, whatever's easier for you. We just like to get a lot of questions from our listeners so we can start to incorporate that into the podcast that we've been doing. Again, soundnotes at leadingagile.com. The second thing I want to mention is we've set up a special discount code for podcast listeners who are interested in taking one of our CSM or CSPO classes. You can find a list of all our upcoming classes by going to leadingagile.com slash training. We're currently doing classes in Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and San Jose. So just go to leadingagile.com slash training, find a class you'd like to take, and enter the discount code SOUNDNOTES to receive 10% off the list price. Now, onto the podcast. Hi, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. This is the second in a series of podcasts that we're doing about using business agility in a non-technology environment. And once again, Russ Pena has joined me, and this time he's brought along Rebecca Williamson. And Rebecca is the director of, of Holiday and Brand Experience, and they're working on a project together where they've been applying Agile, but it has nothing to do with technology. So first, thank you both for taking time out of your Friday for the interview. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So can you, um, they already know who Russ is, Rebecca, so we don't want to bore people with that again, but can you talk a little bit about your background before we get into the actual project? Sure. Um, I'm actually an architect by um, educational background. I uh, went to architecture school. I actually sat for the exam. I'm a registered architect. I practiced architecture for about, I don't know, eight to 10 years before coming to join IHG. Um, I actually joined IHG 10 years ago, and I started out in the architecture and design department, kind of working um, with plan review, kind of looking at owner hotel designs. We have this whole submittal process where they have to submit their design. And then I kind of went on to lead the Holiday and Express design, Formula Blue. I did that for a couple of years. And then most recently in the last probably eight to nine months, I joined the Holiday Inn brand where I've been leading the H4 project. Okay, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, but thank you very much for that. And Russ, I was just kidding when I said you were going to bore people. Do you want to tell them about your background? No, I think I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've pretty much... <laughs> I just shamed the whole thing out of the conversation. Yeah, I've, I've pretty much bored everyone with that. So so Russ is, an, is a transformation consultant at Leading Agile, and he's a brilliant guy, and he's working on a project that's really cool because... All this agile stuff is in place, but it doesn't. It's not revolving around building software or anything like that. Yeah, so it's 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 actually it's um, this has been a brilliant experience for me. It's been a, a complete eye opener, uh, as you know, Dave and Rebecca. I worked mostly in the technology arena with technology teams and and building portfolio management. Um, program and product management teams and delivery teams around 
working testing software. And I was asked by Mike Kopmeyer to come to this engagement at IHG. And he said, take off your tech hat and just put on a generic hat and go with the flow, Russ. Just, just you know, see what you can do to, to make this work at, at IHG from a, from a using agile principles. And um, it's, it's been really, really interesting to see how we can inspect and adapt in an environment that doesn't have software and how we're actually have physical product. And I'm talking about hotel room case goods. And uh, we call it here FF&E, which is furniture, fixtures, and equipment. Right. And it is lamps, it's lighting, it's, it's tables, it's all the kinds of things, you know, so, our product isn't a isn't something that we can deliver in two weeks. We don't work on software that we can we can showcase and demo within a two week period, but we can show measurable progress with designs and uh, with version control. Version control and with so uh, hold on, I want to ask about this. Before I I already had a whole series of questions, but now I want to ask about version control. How does version control work with a hotel room? Rebecca, I'm going to let you ask because this is this is right. Because it's not like you're going to be checking the hotel room in and out of the, in and out of the repository and making comments about what you updated in it, right? Actually, you're incorrect, Dave. That's okay. exactly what we're doing. School me up. When you're talking about version control, for me, how I've been kind of thinking about it is when we really laid out the project when we started back in October – we just talked about the design as the design. We had no version control and we were kind of all over the place. Okay. But as we were really kind of unpacking the, the, the process and the project of where we were that day, we realized we actually do have versioning. So if we already were thinking ahead, we just weren't putting words to it. So at that time, we were already had launched the design, but it maybe wasn't exactly what we wanted. So we knew that was version one. Yeah. And then like, you know, we knew we were going to be reaching our next deadline, which is April 15th, that we would be calling version two and version three would be the mandate, which would be future out in 2017. So in between like version one and version two, we've had 1.5. I get really creative. I'm sometimes I'm 1.5.5, 1. <laughs> 1. 1.6. 1. And as, I, as I'm learning more information, I feel like I'm in a good spot, but I just changed the version. So I'm not getting to the big version of my milestone of 2.0. Okay. This is really cool. So uh, can I ask you some product owner questions now? Sure. All right. So if I'm thinking of a traditional project and the role of product owner, I would expect that the product owner is going to come up. This is, this is going to be a long question, just so you're ready. Uh, the product owner would come up with a vision statement. Um, and, and I would consider it to be the product owner's job to make sure that that is kind of spread throughout. Um, so the first part, the first thing I'm going to ask you in a second is about the vision statement, if you've got something like that. But the second part, the thing that I'm kind of stuck on right now is... If it was software, you would build this final version. You, let's say you put it up on the web um, or people are going to download it. But it is one thing that you create and it is sent out everywhere. And as long as you've, you know, it's gone through all the testing, it's good. But you guys are sort of the opposite. You're going to create this thing and then over a period of time, it's going to have to be recreated in multiple places and you're going to have to figure out how to maintain the quality at that level too. Which, which And making sure those people understand the vision, which I'm thinking is probably pretty complicated. So can you talk about your process with coming up with a vision statement and how you spread that around and how it evolves and things like that? 
Yeah, one of the first things we did when we started um, our team, we kind of made a charter, right? And we had a mission statement. And we said, you know, we're going to work together to deliver the H4 program. We're going to re-energize the holiday and brand. We're going to bring the joy of travel back to our guests. We always, you know, working on the brand teams, we're always kind of mindful of our guests because that's really who we're trying to come sleep in our hotel rooms. We're going to outperform our, outperform our competition at Marriott and Hilton. Those are two big competitors. We're going to regain our market share. You know, we're going to kind of give a good ROI for our owners and then a increase our ROI for owners. So we kind of created this mission statement together. So anytime we're working on something or we're kind of questioning what we're doing, we go back and make sure that we're hitting what we agreed to at the beginning of the project. Okay. So that's for the project. You also have one, I mean, I I travel 70, 80% of the time. Um, And is there like a vision for somebody like me, a guest in a room when you're designing the branding of the room? Oh, yes, definitely. I don't know that we actually articulate it, but we try to do it through design. And that's one of the really big things we're trying to do with this H4 guest room is we redesigned it with our guests in mind. And they tell us that they they love, um, they live to work, they don't work to live. So we have features in the room that we've incorporated, like the mobile mobile table. Instead of doing a traditional desk that's very stationary in the room that you have to go work in this one spot because this is where the hotel tells you to work, we've actually made it movable so you can move it around the room. So like just like you do at your home, you might work from the couch, you might work from your kitchen island, you might work from your bedroom, or you might work in your living room. You can move this table around so you can have that same flexibility that you would be having at home. Well, that's very cool. Okay. So, so it's designed for somebody to... I guess to be as flexible as as agile as possible for the person who's going to be already burdened by being away from home all the time. Exactly. And, you know, we have familiar touches. We have another um, feature in the room. It's called the welcome nook. It's right when you walk in the entry in the vestibule in the um, room. It's a place that you can store your belongings. You can store your coat or your purse or your handbag, your keys, your wallet. There's charging for your phone. There's a place to put your luggage. So it's a really kind of like a dropping zone that we feel like, you know, most people have that kind of place in their home. Sometimes it's at the kitchen at the back door and you walk in your house Some people's at the front door, but kind of creating that same kind of welcome zone that you would have at your house into a hotel room. So this, I think this is one of the coolest things about the project that you guys are doing, because most of the time people walk into a hotel room and it's just a hotel room. They're like, yeah, whatever. They don't care because this thing's wrong and that thing's wrong. But there's actually a lot of thought and creative work that goes into designing, at least at the level that you're at, designing the model of what it's supposed to be like. So as, as a traveler, Dave, as somebody who, who has traveled very extensively in the past, I, I would stay at a, at a hotel room and I, w- I was blind to it. You, you, don't, you do not realize the amount of effort that goes into the am- amount of work and words and, and physical design that goes into that room. It's, it's unbelievable. See, it, it's really – so I, I don't – I stay – I mostly travel with it in another chain. But I walk into their rooms and I'm like, why, why the hell would you put that there? Like that is the worst possible place for that thing to be. Or why are there no plugs or all these other things that just tiny little stuff that I'm assuming that at the time that the rooms were designed, which was probably like in the 1950s that, you know, they didn't have smartphones and people didn't need that many plugs. So how do you, do you need like a a product owner team? Do you need a group of people to sort of help provide counsel and and suggestions to you about, you know, you want to go for this thing for the customer, but these materials are too expensive or this is too hard to implement or too hard to build. Does all that come into play or do you get that all from your architectural background? 
Um, actually, we have a pretty good team. Um, we actually have an internal team that we have our A&D architecture and design partners where we have someone that just focuses on design. Um, we have our architecture partners that really kind of focus working with our franchisees, with their owners. And they understand really what's happening out in the market. We also bring in internal stakeholders that are experts in their field. Like we work with people that specialize in IT, they specialize in operations, they specialize in selling our brands. So we bring them in and get their feedback as well because they're hearing a lot and seeing a lot as they're visiting our hotels. We find all that feedback. So we have a pretty expansive team. Okay. We, we actually have a team, you know, that we call the H4, like our kind of agile team, but the core team. Like the project team, but then we do have a broader team that we bring in for feedback. You know, when we're doing like our first round of model rooms, we have a warehouse here in Atlanta and we build the model rooms in this ideal situation. And then we bring in internal stakeholders. We brought in about 150 internal stakeholders to give us comments on the design. What they saw was working really well, where could we improve and things that they didn't think that would execute properly in the field. We also bring in owners and then we also bring in guests. We get all this feedback and we've probably received over a thousand pieces of unique feedback through all these different model room iterations so we can make sure when we roll out the design to these hotels that we have the right design. Yeah, so we call it down into themes because you know two people may give us the same piece of feedback call it down into themes, and then as a team, we make decisions on whether we actually execute on that suggestion or not, and then move forward. We make okay. a design change based on that. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious. If you're going to bring all these people in to look at these model rooms, you've got you know different groups of people, the franchisee owners, the stakeholders, and the actual customers. They're all going to have, like you, Russ, like you just mentioned, they're going to have competing needs or competing desires for the room. As the product owner... Um, do you have, Rebecca, do you have a way that you're prioritizing the work, the way that you're making the decisions or some, some process or approach that you're using to go through all this feedback and to say, okay, this is the opinion that wins. Yeah. What we do is we kind of like try to, as Russ was saying, we break it into like themes or kind of like certain comments that we're hearing over and over. And if it's something that's really is going to affect operations, not going to hold up, or if it's like a life safety or ADA, something that's against federal regulation, that obviously goes to the top of the list. But if it becomes like subjective, like I don't really like that shade of brown, you know, I really like gray better than brown, that becomes low priority because that's just because that's someone's subjective of what color they like versus something that's actually going to not hold up in a hotel or be harm to one of our guests. But so that um, that last thing is not the harm part, but maybe the color is a difficult color. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming in a, in a hotel room you want to use things that can can withstand a fair amount of use in traffic, mm-hmm. right? So, like, let's say it's the color of the carpet or something like that. Right. Um, on the one hand, you've got the frequent use. On the other hand, you've got you know whatever people think about color theory and how it's going to impact the the mood that the person has when they walk in the room and how it's going to affect their disposition while they're in the space, this cocoon that you're creating for them. Um, is there, I mean, how, how do you make that? That's a little bit closer there and trying to decide which is going to win. Is there any ruling for that? Yeah, we kind of look at, you know, how many people are saying it. If it's one person out of, you know, 200 people saying it's probably, you know, just one person. But if we're starting to hear that theme over and over or if we hear it really strongly with our guest, um, you know, we definitely start taking it to heart and kind of kind of putting it up, the, moving it up the priority list. OK, so, Rebecca, you, you mentioned before that you come from a fairly traditional background and that you've only been doing agile for a little while. Um 
what's that been like? Because architecture is, I mean, actual physical architecture is always the thing where I think, I know that it's agile is used there, but when I think about that, it makes me a little twitchy. Um, you come from a background where if you don't do a lot of that planning up front, people will die. So, <laughs> so how do you, how do you make that switch? Was it difficult? You know, it wasn't that difficult. I think as architects, you know, we're trained to be really good, creative problem solvers. You know, we're, we're used to like an owner or a client coming to us and saying, okay, I want to design this building. I don't know what I want it to be, but I know I need these spaces. I want this amount of square footage. This is how much land I have to build on. Here's my budget. Go and tell me what you can do. General requirements. General requirements. And we go back, you know, as architects, we go back to the drawing boards. We do all these different designs and we try to come up with the best one and you present your options to own the client. So I think it's in that way that just thinking through and like getting the, you know, the requirements and kind of what's needed and then just kind of trying to make that broad picture in your head and then digging down into the details and kind of getting to be able to be able to meet your milestones. At first it was a little bit, the, the hardest part at the beginning was actually trying to understand the terminology because most of the team, none of us had ever worked on an agile or a scrum project. Yeah. So when Mike and Russ came in, they were using these words like epics and features and, I don't even know the rest user of them. Stories. User stories, yeah. whatever they're called. And like to us, like we we were just so hung up on like what those words meant. Yeah. And we could never move forward. But, but once we let those words go and we decided, okay, is our blue sticky and this is our orange sticky means this, we were able to really move and able to like adopt the process. And as we've been doing that, the more we work on it, the more we're kind of creating our own agile, as yeah. I like to say. Yeah, no, it's, you're absolutely right. So Dave, when, when she, when Rebecca mentioned stickies, they're actually post-it notes of different colors. And when uh, Rebecca had also mentioned the, the word unpacking earlier, just to be clear, when you talk about feature decomposition down to user stories and, and tasks and activities, that's really what we're doing, what we call it unpacking, because we take a feature and we unpack it down into tasks and activities. And I actually would would guide the room, not using the agile terms, uh, but but I would I would take a blue sticky and, and I in my head was a feature. And then I would create an orange sticky with acceptance criteria. And then how do we get to that acceptance criteria? I would take yellow stickies beyond that. And we would just make a train of activities to get to the acceptance criteria to get the feature done. So okay. it's, it was really just a, a, a real manual, physical, each sticky represented its own activity. And, and we, it was a feature decomp. But we right. called it hacking in the room because that made them feel better. Well, so this is – I think this is a really important thing. I mean people do get very hung up on the language and it is a big stumbling block. But so your solution was to get past the cognitive dissonance that comes from trying to adopt this new language. You just called it whatever you called it, um, which – What's that? We used natural language. Yeah, and and one of the things I so I just did an interview a few days ago with Woody Zool, who's the one of the the guy behind mob programming and the no estimates guy, and he was talking about how a team has to invent their way of working, which it seems like you guys are very much doing that. I think it's really cool. Absolutely, we I I actually within the first couple of days of being in the room and 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 working with you know this this very dedicated team it became apparent to me very quickly that I had to, I had to divorce myself from my, my, my typical language. And I had to let the room kind of, kind of 
be inventive on what we call things. And, and the room became really innovative. And I guided them using the principles, but I let them name it as they would naturally. And, it, and it's really, they adopted it so much easier. Yeah, they've got more buy-in. It's, it's also interesting, I think, because as a transformation coach, in this particular case, to get what you needed to try to have off the ground, you had to transform what you were doing as well. Absolutely. And I, and I continue to. So that's really cool. So, Rebecca, what, I mean, now that you've been in it for a while, how would you define agility? How would I define it? That's a great question. I think I would de- define it as a project management tool that allows a team to really collaborate and work together to define the work that they need to get done in a, a time-defined um, segment. I don't know what the right word is. but oh, you said perfectly. Like, I mean, for me, because I think that's where working the old way with Waterfall on a project for a couple of years and now coming, even though it's only been six months on Agile, it's just the difference to me is really having understanding what you're going to get done in a short period of time and all agreeing as a team and then kind of, you know, saying we're going to do this work and then we kind of go do it. Um, I think it's pretty uh, amazing. And to be able to watch how much the measurable progress of how much work we're actually getting done and, before when we would do this, you know, we all would agree to work the old way of working, the waterfall way. Um, but we'd come when it was time for deliverable, everybody would say, that's not what I thought. Or, oh, I thought you were going to be delivering this. Or I thought it was going to be this way. And then you had all this confusion and swirl. And then you backtracked to go do the work again to try to get to consensus. Right. And now when we're doing the work at the beginning, we're deciding what that acceptance criteria is and what we need to do and who needs to review it, who needs to be informed ahead of time. So then we are kind of done. We're done, done. It's like, that's what we like to say, <laughs> because that means we really are aligned. It's complete. It's finished. And am I correct in assuming that in addition to having a definition of done and, and you know, coming up with the acceptance criteria, you guys are having some sort of sprint review type event fairly frequently where you're taking a look at the work all together and deciding this is a fit or it's not? Yeah, we have the ceremonies. We do use that word. Uh, we, you know, we start off with our sprint planning, then our sprint starts. And at the end of our sprint, we do our retrospective. Okay. What we do is we do what's working well, what's not working so well, what we need to start and stop. And then we actually write down what we, um, our successes, like who did what and what was really good that they did. So we're actually celebrating the team and our, our even little and big wins. Yeah. That's so excellent. It's pretty exciting, you know, cause it's like you have the, the little grid with the smiley faces and frowny faces, but then you next to it, you have a sheet of paper that says like, wow, they did this or great job. We finally finished this deliverable. Cause that was a big milestone for the project. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, it's, go ahead. Really about, it's really about making sure, you know, Dave, as I, as I think back being in, in the technology sector, you know, the team would get together at a demo and we would demo to the product owner and the product owner would look at the cool progress and the team, you know, it was a success for the team and they all got to kind of shine there. And so we make sure we do that same thing. And so I'm looking at our, at our celebrate board in the room here and in during sprint number nine, Sarah did a complete shop drawing review. And so we, we, we post that we posted in the room as, as sort of a, Hey, guess what? Sarah did a great job. She got all the shop drawings reviewed and, and that's measurable progress and we can move on to the next thing. What do you mean by a celebrate board? Can you explain that? Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's actually a whiteboard 
And I, I, we, at the very top of it, I, I titled it Celebrate Our Successes. And then as we go through our two-week sprint cycles, we know the work that, that's moving to done on our, on our uh, daily stand-up board, actually physically moving post-it stickies, post-it notes that we call stickies. And um, at, the, at, at the very end, see, we, we, kind of, we tend to forget about, because like in software where you're demoing a physical piece of software that everybody, developers, business analysts, quality assurance people have had a hand in looking at this, this physical piece of software that I'm going to demo to, to the product owner, we kind of lose sight of the different activities that, say, Sarah would do versus Rebecca would do. Because okay. they're working on different things. And so at the end of the sprint, what I do as part of the demo is I call out in this Celebrate Successes board. It's, it's really just saying, hey, Sarah did her shop drawings. Rebecca Williamson was able to get the, the Gwinnett model, excuse me, model room to completion. And so we just, I just call out these very specific deliverables that got to done. So I think the, the offering appreciations is, is excellent. What I'm, I think is really cool is that you're tracking them throughout the course of the sprint in a, in a visual way. So right. people can see them accumulating. That's very cool. Um, so what has been, what has been the most difficult part about making the switch as an organization um, that you've seen Rebecca in, in going from a more traditional way to adopting this, you know, new form of language and new way of looking at the work and new way of, designing everything what's the hardest part of that i think the hardest part was for the team there's maybe a couple of things maybe three i could think of the first was at the beginning you know all of a sudden we we were outlining all our work that we needed to done we were putting on our stickies we're unpacking all the work and then we were deciding in the sprint planning session what we were going to do for the next two weeks people felt a little micromanaged because they were used to being able to go like they knew that they had to like go do something, but they weren't used to telling someone how they were going to do it, even though they were deciding their own path and telling us the steps. They weren't used to having to document that. And so there was a little bit of tension at the beginning, just feeling micromanaged. But I think as we've been working on it now, we're in sprint number 10, people don't feel that way anymore. They realize it's just transparent, transparency and clarity and giving everybody full access to the view of what the work they're doing and how they're doing it. Because someone might be doing something really innovative and interesting way that maybe I didn't know that they were doing it that way because I've never seen it documented. Sure. So I think that was one thing. The second thing that I feel like we kind of um, was hard for the team was understanding accountability. Um, because, you know, sometimes on projects, you know, a deadline comes and then you're expecting them to receive your deliverable. But a few days later, you're kind of wondering where it is and they it kind of fell off their radar. Um, but with the agile approach, you know, planning two weeks and then kind of looking forward in the project, everybody knows what the deliverables are for the next two weeks or what's kind of coming. So there's no kind of missing deadlines without the whole team understanding what kind of was the reason there was a delay. Okay. So when you talk about documenting work, you're not talking about creating massive documents. You're talking about writing down what you think you're going to do and then yeah, keeping we, track of it. Right. We write on stickies. You know, we have two ways in this room. There's something I think we did a little bit different is that I have this kind of overall, which I call my project backlog. I have three like whiteboards. The one on the left says, here's my project backlog. The one in the middle says it's what's in progress. And the one on the um, right hand side says done. 
And they're also stickies, right? Because I love, we love stickies in this room. And so I have what I call all the work streams, everything that the project needs to do to get completely done. Dave, you could equate those to epics. Yep, I got it. So, and so what's interesting is that everything that we're working on that's in progress that anybody on the, the team is touching is in progress. And then everything that, you know, is in my project backlog is the things that I know that's coming. So um, we have this really kind of like 50,000 feet view of, what, of the project at all times. So it really helps us stay focused on what we need to be doing and why we need to be doing it. Because if we're doing something that's not on this kind of project backlog board, it's probably we need to decide, do we need to add it or why are we doing it? Yeah. Okay. Then also, I have this calendar that has my sprints to the end of the year, all 31 of them. Yeah. <laughs> and literally in two-week increments and every, there's, you know, every sprint. So we're right now in sprint 10, but underneath sprint 10, it tells me all the deliverables that are due. And so I can be, as a product owner, I can be planning ahead to make sure that the stuff that we're doing in sprint 10 We'll make sure that we can get to Sprint 15 and deliver what we need to deliver. So we're always kind of forward thinking and making sure that we can see that big view, that big picture, but also focusing on what we need to be doing for that Sprint, that two-week time period. Okay, cool. Um, have you found with the teams and everybody who's doing the work, this is this is for both of you, is there um, or are there any aspects of Agile or things that they've gone through in the transition that you found there was maybe a surprising amount of resistance to whether it was, you know, I don't want to do that or whether you just found people pushing against something because it was different. And even though they couldn't articulate it, it didn't seem right to them. Yeah. And it's particularly around, around, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's actually fascinating. The folks that are in the room every day that are, that are a hundred percent dedicated to this really bought in very quickly. Um, and they, they adopted everything that we, the, the methodology that we, that we're creating on the fly, they, they, they inspect and adapt very quickly. The folks that aren't dedicated in the room that only get, but, but are still on point for activities and tasks, they don't really appreciate breaking work down to a granular level. And so it's been kind of difficult with extended team members to get them to, to really want to come in and create individual stickies. Rather, they would just like to say, hey, I'll give you this deliverable by this date, which which you as you know, Dave, gives, you know, people typically will take that long to, to deliver yeah. rather than, you know, being accountable for, you know, incremental activities. Yep. Yeah. I would also add at the very beginning it was the daily stand ups. That's something of a new process to us that we never even heard of. Right. And it's like every day you want me to come to this room for 15 minutes, but I have meetings, I have other things to do on my calendar. And I think it was around sprint four or five. There was a lot of like, do we need to be having this every single day? Right. <laughs> Could we go to Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Should we do Tuesday, Thursday? We actually did a survey out to the team trying to understand, is it the time of day that was the problem? Was it, um, should we go to a less frequent daily stand up? And it was very interesting that's how the team was feeling at that time. Right. But since we made a, we made some a few adjustments. We like said, you know, please come prepared to the daily stand up. Be ready to answer the questions. What did you? What are you doing today? What are you gonna do tomorrow? Is anything in your way? And when people came prepared, it made them go a little bit faster. So we made that change. And the second thing we did is we added um, office hours right after the daily stand up. Right. During our daily stand up, you know, since we are not 
non-technology, there was a lot of questions like, oh, Rebecca, I have a question for you, Rebecca, product owner, or I needed a question for someone else. But we were kind of asking those questions during the daily stand-up. So they got too long and too deep and people weren't feeling like they needed to be there. Yep. Said, okay, let's make 15 minutes for the daily stand-up. We stay very focused on tasks talking about, you know, our daily stand-up board. And then when that's over, we go directly into office hours where I, you know, keep my time open for them so they can ask questions and we can kind of work around the table anything that might be outstanding for the team. Or leave if they need to. Or they leave if they need to, but it's really made it more efficient. And now we're not hearing anymore that should we be having this daily stand-up every day. We hear more that I really appreciate the office hours and the ability to be able to have time to ask you questions, and I know you're sitting here waiting on me. Well, that's great. So it's, it's really, it's, it's really interesting, Dave, because, you know, I think back to my delivery teams in their daily scrum standup, you know, as a, as a scrum master, I'd keep them from, from getting too deep. And then I would allow them afterwards to sort of break out and, and, and go into these, uh, you know, back to their desks and, and collaborate and, and work through impediments. Right. Well, we, 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 we just kind of formalize that a little, a little because of the, the, the difference in the dynamics of what we're doing. We, we felt like having the product owner be in the room for an additional amount of time to be able to remove impediments and kind of work through things. It, it really made for a more meaningful standup and it, and it actually makes the standup go a lot faster. Cool. Cool. Okay. Um, so can I, do you have time for one more question, Rebecca? Sure. If you if you could go back, this this project you guys started working on this project when? How long ago? Oh, well, actually, they started working on it probably sometime in two thousand fifth. Wait, the 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 agile part of this project. Oh, we started in October. Okay, so if you could go back in time to right before you started trying to switch to agile, what advice would you give yourself to Mm -hmm. to make this? the journey that you've had a little bit less, either less difficult or just have it flow much better than it has? That's a really good question. Give me a second. And Russ, I want to ask you the same question as a coach that's been trying to work on a non-technology project. Yeah, for me, while Rebecca articulates her or formalizes her thoughts, for me, it it would be, um, you know, just to really be, to allow the team, you know, at, at first I, I, I came in with, with, you know, sort of my, my very formal agile background, you know, and, and it would be to have to come in and just to build relationships and allow this team to, to kind of form their way, but still guide them with, with, you know, using the agile principles and not, not be so, so prescriptive if, if you can use the word agile and prescriptive together, but not be so prescriptive in my methodology and just, and just be, just allow the team to, to kind of invent their own way, adapt their own way. Okay. that's, That's what I would do. Cool. All right. Thank you. And Rebecca. Yeah. I think if I would go back and see myself in October, I would probably say through this project process, you don't have to be so perfect. I think at the beginning, you know, we go back and look at the unpacking that we did at the beginning and we don't even understand the stickies that we wrote down. Right. Cause I think we were trying to be, we are trying to be agile and act a certain way and use certain terminology that we really didn't understand. And so there's Literally, when you go back and look at the work we did in October, we barely can understand some of it because it was so foreign to us. I think in 
if I would do it again and start back over, I'd probably remember you don't have to be so perfect. And it is like a very adaptive process and it's okay to go back and change things or reword something that you, you know, you look back on it 60 days later and say, it doesn't make quite the sense that you thought it did. Yeah. To adapt and change with the process. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I want to add one more thing to that, Dave. <clears throat> you know, in, in a software environment, if you if you have carryover, meaning you you know you didn't get something to done and you had to move move it to the next sprint, that's a bad thing, right? Right. Um, in this in this room, we have you know we have activities and tasks that that we actually we actually have carryover. We actually it's okay for us to have to move something back into a planned column on our in our uh, on our board. And, and um, you know, I could give you lots of examples of why that is, but, but the idea, the idea of, of, of being open to that, you know, because immediately when, for instance, when uh, Tim Wise, our principal consultant, comes in or, or other folks from Leading Agile, and they see that we actually have carryover, I see their face kind of cringe because we know in technology – that's, that's yeah, you, you can't see my face, but I'm cringing too. Yeah, it's, a, it's a bad thing, but we, but, but it's okay, and and it's it's all right because this is an, an iterative and incremental process where it's a design evolves, so things have to kind of naturally go back through the process. Okay, but just to play the opposite side of it. If part of what the team is trying to do is to develop trust with management by demonstrating we understand our capacity, we have the ability to commit to something or forecast it, it will be ready. And then it's our, we own that and we will make sure we hit the mark by the end. Um, does, and, and maybe it doesn't, but does that not always happening? Has that eroded any trust or is, is, are you demonstrating enough evidence that it's just okay? So I would say we still do that. We still tell our our senior leaders, our portfolio managers, if you will, that we're going to hit a date. But for instance, if, if a design has to be reviewed and updated incrementally, because it's a design, people have to look at it, put their eyes on it. And, yes. and we have a lot of, you know, we have a lot of people in, 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 vendors that actually we were relying upon. So, you know, by the time we actually get to a physical piece of, of, of evidence of, of, of a design, it may go through the cycle a couple of times for, for the core team to review it. Okay, cool. Uh, this is a, I, I'm really psyched about this topic. I think it's really great. Um, Rebecca, if, if folks have follow-up questions for you, is there a way that they can reach out to you and, and, Check in with you on some stuff. Sure. Um, they can email me at my work email address, which is Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A dot Williamson, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S-O-N at I-H-G dot com. Okay. And I'll make sure to include uh, a link for that as well in the show notes. And and Russ, how can they track you down? Yeah, you can you can follow me on Twitter at Russ.Pena. You can email me at... Russ, R-U-S-S dot P-E-N-A at leadingagile.com. And I highly encourage you to reach out to me. This is a fascinating subject and I love to talk about it. And I'm going to say reach out to Russ and tell him he needs to start doing presentations about this topic because I think it's awesome. Fascinating topic. 
Yeah, it's great. And we can all guilt him into doing that collectively as the internet. So <laughs> cool. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you both for, for doing this. And Russ, we're going to do a few more interviews as well. Correct. That's right. We've got a follow up with Eric Lent, who is our VP of brand for Holiday Inn, Crown Plaza and Intercontinental. Okay. And we're also going to meet with uh, Jason Malsworth who is the director of the PMO for the Americas. Awesome. And uh, we're going to get their perspective. And and we've also, uh, in addition to speaking with Rebecca, we've spoke with Daniela Huang, who is our project manager slash scrum master. And we look forward to, to that podcast as well. Yeah, so we're going to have links. I'll have links for all this stuff in the show notes. But thank you both for taking time out of the day. And um, I really appreciate you being willing to share information about how you've been able to take Agile kind of beyond software. This is very cool. Thanks for facilitating. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. Thanks.